So here as we read, follow along with me, please. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of Would you pray with me, please? Father, knowing that Jesus is the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, we want to come into this text mindful that the true teacher is the Spirit of Christ, not the one standing on one side or the other of the pulpit. I want to be reminded, Lord, that our preconceived notions about Christ, apart from your word, are nothing. We want to be reminded, Lord, that apart from you, we can do nothing. So send your Spirit. Give us a fresh pair of eyes to look at this passage, even this morning. Even for me, I've looked at it all week long. I wouldn't mind a fresh pair again. To see and behold the Lamb of God. That we might become a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. We thank you for your help, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage, we're going to confront two questions, two main questions. I know if you were reading along, you noticed there were a lot of questions that were being asked. This was an interrogation, wasn't it? Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Christ? What do you say about yourself? Why are you baptizing? All these questions, right? These Levites and these priests that were sent by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, Those who took God's word and in many ways, as we'll find in this book of John, but in the other gospels as well, have twisted God's word to their own ends, to their own means. And they hear about John the Baptist out in the wilderness, baptizing people and preaching and eating grasshoppers covered in honey, wearing camel's hair. As we talked about in December, he's a weirdo. We want to know what he's about. What is he up to? Is he going to put us to shame? Are we going to have to come out there? I sure hope not. Let's send the priests and Levites over there and ask them questions. But among all the questions that they ask, there are two that we need to focus on today for ourselves. And they are very simple. Who do you say that you are? 
And secondly, who do you say that Jesus is? Got him? Two questions. You have to answer them, even if you don't want to. Even if you're sitting there thinking, he just told me to do something, and I'm not going to do it because I don't like when people tell me what to do. You have to answer them because I just asked you. And you don't have to answer me audibly with those answers, but you do need to, in the place of your heart in this moment, answer, who are you and who is Jesus? Just like John had to answer that. Our title this morning is A Voice in the Wilderness. You already saw this is John's ultimate answer. What do you say about yourself? Who are you? Voice in the wilderness. And this is what the call of Scripture is going to be on our lives today to, like John the Baptist, become a humble voice in our wilderness, testifying to the Son of God. Got it? That's what Scripture is going to call us to today. Call us to examine ourselves. Are we going to fall in line with what John the Baptist has laid out for us very clearly about himself? He was a witness as are we. Well, let's look at these first few verses, 19 through 28. Who is John the Baptist? We already addressed that that first question uh, when he says, what do you say? Who are you? John doesn't actually even give a straightforward answer, does he? He doesn't say, I'm John the Baptist. I'm the son of Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth. And I was born full of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm a Nazarite from birth, so I've never had a haircut, if you couldn't tell. I live in the wilderness. I'm a very important guy. I was sent beforehand to start baptizing people with water so that they might be ready for the one who was going to come after me. He's pretty important, but until he shows up, I want you to know about me. Do you notice none of this is there? His response to who are you is, I am not the Christ. It's almost as if the most important thing about him is who he isn't rather than who he is. And is that because of anything particular? Yes, of course. He's out there on the other side of the Jordan, a very important river. You can read about it later on if you want. He's out there by the Jordan, baptizing people, proclaiming salvation by repentance. He's saying that someone else is coming who's going to make all these things right. We see the identity later on in the second section here. But it all starts with this simple answer. I'm not the Christ. And it wasn't as if the Levites and priests stood there and were like, we weren't thinking you were. Because if we put ourselves in, this shoes, in, in his shoes, and you, know, you meet somebody on Sunday, and they say, hi, I'm Nick, who are you? I'm not the Christ. That'd be really weird. Don't do that. Okay? You've got to get the heart behind what John's doing more than the literal action. The literal action is clear. They were looking to see, is he going to say he's the Christ? Is he going to say he's the coming one? the Messiah, the anointed one, who's going to save us, who's going to bring either peace or military victory or righteousness or something. We're trying to figure it out from God's word. We don't know exactly what to look for, but we know somebody's coming who's going to be totally set apart. And John the Baptist is out here doing this whole thing. I'm wondering if he thinks he's the Christ. Maybe he thinks he's Elijah. There's a promise that Elijah would come. Maybe he thinks he's the prophet. Maybe he thinks something about himself because so many people have gone out into the wilderness and said something about themselves. So many people at this time have gone out and said, hey, follow me, I'm the Christ. You know, Jesus told us that many people after him would come and say, hey, I'm the Christ. And he says, don't listen to them. Don't believe them when they come out and say that. And, and history has proven Jesus correct. There's been many people who've come out and acted like they were the second coming of Jesus. But even before that, 
there were others who were making that claim, saying that they were the Christ, they were the Messiah, they were the one who were going to bring God's people to victory, bring them across the Jordan in triumph and into a new holy land, a new promised kingdom. The kingdom of God was going to come, and they all came to nothing. John the Baptist comes up to bat. I love John the Baptist, don't you? I think he's like the coolest character in the New Testament, besides Jesus, of course. But his life is so simple and clear. There's no question about him. His answer to who am I, first thing you need to know is me in relationship to who Jesus is. I am not the Christ. John's answer that we get overall is not entirely different from our own. We often, when we introduce ourselves, say, I'm Nick. I'm the pastor at Cross Point Community Church. I live on Glenwood Avenue. I am interested in these kind of hobbies. I have a wife and two daughters. We go through all the things so that basically what we're doing in introducing ourselves is saying, here are the things that set me apart from other people that you know. Here's an equation to understand whether you're talking to me or someone else. There are a lot of things that you can learn about me. John the Baptist says, one thing, not the Christ. And then the other questions come. Are you Elijah? We know from Malachi chapter 4 that Elijah was going to come, that God was going to send him. Are you Elijah? Well, this is kind of a difficult thing because do you know Jesus' answer about John the Baptist later on? Yeah. He says, you know what? John the Baptist was Elijah for all intents and purposes, basically, is his answer. In Matthew eleven thirteen through 15, Jesus says, All the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah, which is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what John the Baptist is doing here is not disagreeing with Jesus. But what John is emphasizing is an overwhelming humility. He's not even worried about making sure that people know, Hey, I'm the fulfillment of Malachi 4, 5. Elijah's coming and he's me. Not literally, but I'm coming with the power of Elijah and you ought to know that about me. So you better listen. John the Baptist doesn't care. He doesn't care about shaping his message in such a way that people will accept it more easily. What he cares about is knowing that they've heard his message clearly. First things first, I'm not a big deal. Let me tell you who is. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18. Show us Moses talking about a prophet that God is going to raise up from among them. And he is the one that they are meant to listen to. So this prophecy, all the way from Deuteronomy, through the Old Testament, to this point, they're saying, all right, you're not Elijah. Are you the prophet? It's funny that they keep asking questions, though, isn't it? Because he's already told them, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm not him. But they keep asking, they're like, we need to know who you think you are. It's like, no, I don't think I'm the prophet. I don't think I'm Elijah coming back. That's not what I'm about. And then they ask him a question that he likes a lot better. What do you say about yourself? Oh, okay, that I will give you. Look at his answer there. This is in verse 22. Who are you? We need to give an example. We need to give an answer, pardon me, to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. That's the prophet Isaiah said. Notice exactly what he says here. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. He doesn't negate all the humility that he's already built up by saying, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, I'm not the Christ. 
He doesn't come into it and say, now here's who I really am. You're never going to guess. It's from Isaiah chapter 40. You don't even remember that passage, do you, you Pharisees, you priests, you Levites? He's not taking that kind of approach. And even when he comes to scripture, he says, I am the voice of one. I'm not the voice crying out in the wilderness. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. What is the implication here? The implication is is that there ought to be others too, right? That there will be others who will come following him. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Who are the others? To use a technical grammatical structure, all of y'all, all of God's people called to be voices in the wilderness saying, make straight the way of the Lord. Prepare, he is coming. Our message might be a little bit different than John the Baptist, right? Because Jesus has already been here. He's already accomplished the work of salvation. Is that the end of the story? His plan's fulfilled. His plan is complete. Redemption is accomplished and applied to his people. Is that the end of the story? Make straight the way of the Lord is still very applicable to us today because he is coming back. He will return one day. He will take all of his ransomed home with him. He will bring judgment and justice to all who have opposed him. He's going to make all things right. John the Baptist, his purpose here represents the end of the Old Testament and the inauguration of the Son of God's ministry. Just as Jesus said, the prophets prophesied until John until John, he's this new voice after 400 years of silence. Did you know that? In between the Old and New Testament, 400 years waiting and waiting and waiting, John the Baptist comes into the scene and says, make straight the way of the Lord. He's coming. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 is a great echo to this idea as well. The author says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. There's a great difference that John the evangelist, John the apostle, John the author is making for us as we enter into his gospel. The Old Testament is valid. It is real. It is God's true word, but we are moving on to the fulfillment of it. And the Old Testament will now serve primarily as a shadow of the things that are to come, a foreshadowing, a picture Christ will come and fulfill it. Christ will come and bring the substance of all that God has been communicating to his people from generation to generation. John's response to the question, what do you say about yourself, is that he is one who is coming to declare the glory of the Lord will be revealed. This is John's message. The glory is the substance of his message. It is the glory of God, not of himself. That is why he can testify with such great power. You know, the Bible says that there was never a more humble man than who? Do you know? It's a little bit of a quick trick question. Who? Moses, right? You thought, you thought I was going to say John the Baptist, didn't you? That's why you didn't answer, right? But I think John the Baptist is at least a close second, right? And we'll see that in John chapter 3. My whole week has been me basically trying to stay in chapter 1 and not jump to chapter 3 where John the Baptist reappears because there's so much more stuff to add in here that I'm going to leave for later on. But you could, you know, read ahead if you like. It would always be a good thing. 
But in this question of what do you say about yourself, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, I'm here to make straight the the path of the Lord, the way of the Lord should be clear so that he can come. The substance of his message is very clear, but what is the substance of your message? Is it any different? You can answer that. John the Baptist, did he have substance to his message? Of course. That substance, that power was that the next section that we're about to get into pretty soon. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The substance was right there. The power was evident. It's this guy right here, he says. What is the substance of your message? Can you point to a physical representation, the incarnation of Christ right here to stand on the stage with me? Wouldn't we think that would be wonderful? Aren't we just a little bit jealous that John the Baptist may have gotten a better gig than we did? Kind of lost his head in the end. But the truth is, is that the substance of John the Baptist's message is not weakened when it comes to the substance that we embrace in our message. And it is not even the same. It is greater. The substance of our message is even greater because now God lives within his people. You know, we live in a very competitive culture, don't we? Tomorrow morning, if tomorrow's the start of your work week, you will get up in the morning and get ready to compete. You will start the process of five days of showing the world all you got, right? I can do my job. I can do it well. I can pay my bills. I can be better than those people. I can do all these things. I can make everyone think that I am worth something. I can proclaim to people all about myself. I can be a voice in the wilderness crying, prepare the way of me. This is how our world functions around us. Not prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare my own way. Make way for me. I am something. I'm something very special. You ought to know something about me, if not everything. Because in my own perception, I am the center of the universe. Because of this wilderness that we live in that has such a mentality we are tempted to translate that mentality into our mindset of what the lord has created us to do even within church we bring this competitive nature among us and kind of say you know nick may not be that bad at preaching a sermon but really you ought to hear me right i know so many of you are thinking that every sunday that might be a silly illustration But the truth is, is that we come into the setting and we may be thinking, boy, if I have to pray in front of somebody or if I have to read scripture or if they ask me a question about the Bible, I better have a really good answer because I don't want people to think that I'm dumb. I don't want people to think that I'm boring. I want people to think that I am something. I'm something rather special, something unique amongst the unique ones even in church. Comes in direct contrast to what God has created us to do. Either for our pride or for our insecurity, we ask ourselves the question can God really use me to be a voice to testify to Him? Me? Really me? In my setting? Do you know that I, the pastor, struggle with this? Because, yeah, I, I, I'm so glad to have this opportunity to have your attention for a few moments on Sunday morning every week, but I also have to live. Monday through Saturday, too. And I have to spend a lot of my time getting ready to talk about this, and it's very easy for me to forget about the other opportunities that I have to testify to other people. And when I forget about what I was created to do, I revert back to the wilderness that I live in. 
I revert to, back to that mindset, competitive nature, thinking I need to prove something about myself. I need to prove to people that I'm smart. I need to prove to them that I'm funny, that I'm fun to be around, that I'm a good listener, that I can build things, that I can tear things down. I mean, we could just keep making the list, right? I'm a really good parent. I'm a really good cook. I exercise really well. You know, it's not hard to come up with this list, is it? Will you make one up in your mind right now for yourself? Will you be honest with yourself for a second and admit that there are things that you wish people knew about you? And John the Baptist stands here and tells you today, I am not the Christ. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord. John the Baptist further expresses his humility in verse 25. He answered them, I baptize with water as to the question, why are you baptizing? But among you stands one who you don't, do not know. Even who comes at, he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Do you want to know something true right here as a side note? I got really, really insecure about how fast I talk when I get up here. And I just had that moment right there. Okay? Just a little behind the scenes for you. It's real. Like there's little things like that that you can pick up on. Like, Nick, slow down. You're not an auctioneer. <laughs> Childhood dreams aside, we're supposed to be doing this well. We're supposed to be communicating the gospel to people. There's all sorts of little things. Your, your list, again, that I prompted you to, don't forget about it. You want to be aware of those things. And John the Baptist says this about Jesus. I am unworthy to untie the strap of his sandal. Did you know that rabbis during this time, when they had disciples, the disciples were meant to act basically as the slave of the rabbi, doing whatever he asked them to do. Go get this, go do this, go talk to this person, set up dinner, etc., etc. But there was one thing that culture told rabbis, listen, your disciple is like your slave, he's like your servant, but please don't even go so far as to ask them to do this one thing. What is that one thing? Do you know? We just read it. I am unworthy to, what? It's in here. It has to do with footwear. Yeah, I'm unworthy to even untie his sandals. What is John the Baptist saying? He says, look, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, but I am just a voice. And voices are nothing without substance of message behind them. And the gap between John the Baptist and Jesus is so great that when he compares himself to him and says, would I be like a disciple to Jesus? I mean, no. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. I'm less than that. My sin has so separated me. Our sin has so separated us from God that we're not even worthy if Jesus were to be up here and any of us to say on our own merit, hey, let me be the one to take his shoes off so that he can relax. None of us would be able to say that. Do you remember the woman who came to Jesus? We'll read about this later. The woman who came to Jesus, and he said that she loved much because she was forgiven much. And what did she do? She washed his stinky, smelly, dirty feet with her hair and her tears. Why? Because she loves much. Why does she love much? Because she's been forgiven much. This is what Christ has done for each one of us. He's taken those of us who are unworthy, not worthless, but unworthy, 
and acknowledged, convicted us so that we might acknowledge with him the gap between us and him. Jesus is not just the ultimate version of yourself. He's something totally different. He is the word who was in the beginning with God, who was himself God, through whom all things were created. He's the light of the life of men. And we are unworthy even to untie his shoes. And yet, what has our Savior done? On the night before he was betrayed, getting ready for the Passover meal, the first thing that had to happen was foot washing. And who is it that picked up the towel? Jesus, that's right. What if I whispered to you for the rest of the sermon? You're allowed to talk loudly. It's okay. It's a year and a half in. We'll get there eventually. I'm teasing. I love you all. You can whisper or ignore me all you want. I'll still be rattling on up here. Christ has offered to us such a Savior that has humbled himself lower than we even understand ourselves to be. Lower than we could even imagine. John the Baptist had already died by the time Jesus washed the disciples' feet, but can you imagine his response if he was there, if he was in amongst the twelve? You know, Peter was the one who spoke up and said, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. Can you imagine what John the Baptist would have said if he were the one sitting in that chair and Jesus said, hey, give me your foot, John. I imagine he would have bolted out of the chair, ran out of town, back to the River Jordan, right? Peter's response to Jesus' correction, Jesus says to him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Peter realizes, okay, Lord, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, give, give me a whole, the whole thing, right? Because he realizes if that's the truth, then, uh, boy, I, yeah, I'll admit humility, but I'm also going to, in humility, admit my great need that I have for him because he has met my need. He understands my need deeper than I do. The world is going to offer us paper saviors, politicians, movie stars, athletes. Do you guys know what a fathead is? Not athletes and movie stars and those kind of things. I'm not trying to be mean here. But a fathead is like a cutout, like a, like a, a character that you put on a kid's wall, like a superhero or something like that. Or maybe like a cardboard cutout that stands on its own on the floor. And that kept coming to my mind as I started to think of the world's alternative, alternatives to us. Cardboard saviors temporary, not, not having in themselves any substance except corrugated cardboard. But Christ comes as the one of full substance. John recognizes that about him. Why are you baptizing? I'm baptizing with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Why? Because you're looking at all the cardboard cutouts. You're looking at the Pharisees. You think that they're the ones who have substance, but they're going to be knocked over at the flick of a finger of the one I'm talking about. Jesus is going to come. I'm going to baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with what? Kind of. Yeah, we're washed in the blood of Christ, right? He's going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the substance, with the power that we actually need. These these lawyers, these uh, priests and Levites, they didn't understand John because they didn't know Jesus. They looked at him baptizing with water, and they're asking questions like, hey, you're baptizing all these Jews. They're already accepted into our community. Why do they need to be baptized? It's because they might be accepted under the Pharisees' community, but they need to be accepted into God's kingdom. And that baptism was a baptism of repentance, preparing the way for the one who was going to come and baptize them with fire and with the Holy Spirit, the Lamb of God, who through 
His redemption on the cross has made it possible for us to no longer be cardboard cutout people, but to actually have substance about us, to actually have the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can testify, so that you can be a voice in the wilderness. You know, the qualification of grace in John the Baptist's life was just that thing I mentioned earlier. From his mother's womb, he was filled with the Thank you. Holy Spirit. And from your new birth, you, believer in Christ, church, have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? People get really weird about the Holy Spirit. And and yes, I know that in Scripture we do have this command to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a continual need. But do you ever think there's a moment where God says, hey, it's Tuesday, not really feeling it today. Just going to give you like 25% of my spirit today. If you sense a lack of the spirit in your life, it's not because God is being stingy. It's because you're looking at yourself. You're trying to be a voice for yourself. I am a voice crying in the wilderness. Make way for me. But if you were a voice crying in the wilderness, make way for the Lord, then you would have power. Listen to John's testimony about Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When they would have heard this, Genesis 22 would have came into their minds immediately. The Lamb of God? When did God provide a lamb? When Abraham was going up to the hill with his son Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice. And as the knife was raised to kill his own son, God stops him says, don't hurt the boy. And over in the thicket is a ram caught, captured by God as a substitute. Why was all of this in a temporary way? In that exact context, God says to Abraham, now I know that you believe me because you wouldn't even withhold your own son, your son whom you love from me. Now I know that you believe me. God knew all things. He was giving Abraham an opportunity to embrace that. But there was an even deeper reality than what was going on in that moment. Because years and generations later, another father would walk up a hill with his son and make him a burnt offering, make him a sacrificial lamb in the place of another. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you see the scope of God's mission? Do you see the scope of what God is calling you to be a voice in the wilderness too? This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. The contrast between John and Jesus is great and clear, but that does not signify a distance between them. It's a difference, but it's not a distance. Where was Jesus? He came to be baptized. John got to baptize him. And when he baptized him, what happened? The Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove and remained on him. What is so amazing as we think about this theme throughout this book of John of the Old Testament, the old ways fading away into the background to make room for the ministry of the Son of God is that when the Holy Spirit came to work in the lives of people in the Old Testament, he came and he went. Even through the book of Judges, you saw this, right? Do you remember? Do you remember the book of Judges? Not too long ago. And what what was it that made the, the judges able to do what they were called to do. It was the fact that the Holy Spirit came upon them for that task. But after the task was over, poof, gone, just as quickly as he came. Jesus is different. Things are changing. 
Substance will not just be a matter of a singular task that God has appointed them to, though God was not wrong in doing so whatsoever. But now there will be something else. Life in the Spirit is what life in Christ really is. The power to live your life in Christ is in the Holy Spirit, and he has given his Holy Spirit to you. His Holy Spirit is himself, God, the third person of the Trinity, fully equal with Father and Son, yet separate, distinct in his work, his work of coming and living inside of believers. You don't have to be the most impressive person. You don't have to say anything about yourself except her, I am not the Christ. There's one who's coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandal, and yet here he is, and I got to baptize him. He loves me. He is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us so that he could be the light of life to all man. He's made this radical change to make all things different. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes on his disciples. This baptism um, becomes even more real and evident. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, the disciples were. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Every time I read that from the pulpit, I just wonder... You know, the window's going to blow open. Wouldn't that be cool? It would be cool, but we don't need that. We don't need the dramatic outward display if we have the full presence of God in our lives. That was a picture. That was a one-time thing. It was unique. The Holy Spirit comes again in dramatic ways in the book of Acts. I don't want to get too far into that, but it was for a unique time to express to God's people what was going on. And boy, we get hung up on the speaking in tongues, don't we? You didn't want me to read that verse, some of you. I know you didn't, right? Like, ew, speaking in tongues. Been there, done that. No thanks. What was the speaking in tongues about? What did Peter do right after he was filled with the Holy Spirit? He went out and preached And everyone else was testifying to the goodness and the glory of God, to his great grace. And everybody outside from every tribe, tongue, and nation around the world was going, how am I hearing them in my own language? Speaking in tongues was not a verification of your holiness and your acceptability before God. Speaking in tongues was God's gift to his people in order to proclaim the message, to be a voice in the wilderness. And if you need to speak in tongues to do that, he's going to give it to you. Got it? Sorry, I'm a little bit passionate about that. There might be a story behind that, don't you think? Yeah, talk to me later if you're curious. Don't be scared, though. Christ doesn't call us to be a voice with no power. He calls us to be a voice, and he gives us the substance and the power of the message that we proclaim. John is the voice, but Jesus is the word. He is the substance. John's like a microphone. I'm wearing one right now. You, if, if you like this sermon, not that that's anything I ever want to talk about in the middle of the sermon, but if you had some response, let's say, at the end of the sermon, boy, that was interesting, that was helpful, that was confusing, that was whatever. You wouldn't be going out around saying, like, did you hear the microphone today? Like, you did that? <laughs> you wouldn't be going around, you'd be like, what did that guy say? What was that all about? I don't get it. It was confusing. It wasn't very straightforward. Whatever, whatever your response would be, you wouldn't attribute it to the thing where, being worn on my tie right now. You would attribute it to the content of it, right? To the person who was delivering that. But of course, the goal is that this isn't me primarily, but the spirit working through me. And so it is with you. We get so hung up on ourselves, don't we? 
I want to make something about myself or I want nothing. You know, either for our pride or for our insecurity, we want to step aside and trust that God's going to work in some other way that's going to make us more comfortable. And that's just not the case. He wants to use you, brother or sister in Christ. And he recognizes you've got struggles. You've got things in your way. You've got reasons that you say, I can't make it to this thing at church. I can't take that time to spend time in the word. I can't pray right now. That's too hard. I've got some other things I need to deal with in my life right now that are far more pertinent. But I'll tell you today, and you can believe me or just throw it away, there's nothing more important than you being a voice in the wilderness. The only thing that's going to change this most significant change besides you yourself from going from this temporal realm into eternity, into God's full presence, the only thing that's going to change is that your ability to be a voice to people who don't know Christ will end. Every breath you take right now is your opportunity to share this message, to be a voice, to testify to the Son of God. And how is it that we do that? You do that when you're in your workplace. You do it by sharing a Bible verse, by passing out one of these things that I don't have on me. Here we go. By passing this out, by leaving one on the table with a nice tip at the end of your meal, by uh, calling somebody and just saying like, hey, how can I pray for you today? Just striking up those conversations is always the hardest thing. But you can do it. Why? Because you've got the Holy Spirit. What are all of our excuses? All of our excuses are, I'm not built that way. I'm not about that. That's not what I'm good at. All those kind of things. God knows that about you. John the Baptist knew that about himself. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. But you've been given his spirit. Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Matthew adds that Jesus is the one who baptizes with fire, just to get that contrast between water and fire, right? If you were baptized, do you remember your baptism? Do you remember coming up out of the water? I hope that that was legitimately a wonderful spiritual experience for you. But on a temporal, physical plane, people saw you go underwater and come back out. I'm like, okay, my kid can do that. It looks simple. It looks earthly. It looks temporary. It looks insignificant. But there was a significance behind that. Because it symbolized that you had been brought into God's family. And that you had been baptized not with water by Jesus, but with fire, with the Holy Spirit, with power to do what he's called you to do. And he doesn't just simply call some people like John the Baptist. He calls all of his people. If you're here today, or even if you weren't here today, if you're watching this on Facebook later on, if you're listening to this, if you're reading it at any point, God is calling you to be a voice in the wilderness. And you might just reach more people than you think because it's his power working through you. He is the son of God. His mission is made clear that he's the lamb of God. The exaltation comes at the end. I know, John says, I have seen and borne witness that this is the son of God. By beholding the lamb, by beholding the son of God, the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, we are actually able to bear witness to him as the substance of our new life in him. For every bit of your Christianity, I know you might be thinking, you're talking about testify, but I've, I've got I've to deal with my marriage, I've got to deal with my neighbors, my coworkers, all those kinds of things. They are important, but they are all a scene, they're all a setting in a, the play of your life to see whether you will testify to Christ by your words, by your actions, by your deeds. That's what God wants for you. That's what he's made you to do. So what do you say about yourself? Who are you? Does the answer of that stem from who you are in Christ? If it does, then you can answer the second question. Who is Jesus? 
He is the substance. He's the power. He's the meaning of my life. He's everything. Like Ephesians told us last week, all things be united in Christ, summed up in how we respond to him and to him only. Pharisees and priests didn't understand John or Jesus. This is going to be a recurring theme. We're going to see it over and over and over again. Remember that. Part of that is because 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul wrote, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Simple, everyday, breakable, weak, common jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You are a clay pot, but you could never be any more blessed than you are if you're in Christ. You could never be more equipped for what he's called you to do. You may still feel like a clay pot after this message, and you might just walk out like a clay pot. But you might also walk out thinking about what's inside that clay pot. The power of God for salvation. For all who believe. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because I preach it really well. Because I wrote part of the Bible. Because I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. No. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation. Time's running out. You got today? Something left of today we know. Nothing's promised to us. You're going to live in the power of what God has granted to you to do what he's created you to do? I hope so. This is John's example of testimony to the Son of God. It amounts to the power behind his message, not him himself. The wilderness that we're in is not easy. I know you're facing challenges. I know life is hard. I know that perhaps you might have wanted to come in to church this morning and hear a good message about controlling your temper or uh, five steps to being a better worker at work or, or whatever. But those things, though they're important, are not of utmost importance. It's not what John has written to us here. We've got to take what John has said here. We've got to think about it. Chew on it. Consider what God is talking to you individually today. When we talk about testifying, we're not just talking about our theme for the year for Crosspoint Community Church. I'm trying to make you make it your theme for your life. I'm trying to make me make it my theme for my life. It's not easy. We can do it together. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you love your people so much that you have not left them to be enemies and distant aliens to your grace, but you have met us at the cross by substituting Christ in our place, rising him from the dead so that we could be yours forever. And you have commissioned us to say, here's what I want you to do. Go tell everyone what I've done for you. Lord, maybe if our problem with testifying to others is, is really a big deal for us, maybe we just simply need to come back to your feet and consider who you are and what you have done for us to refresh ourselves on the testimony that we have in you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you that you have not left us powerless for what you've called us to do. This is not an exchange where you've done something wonderful for us. What are we going to do for you? We're not exchanging Christmas presents here or Easter baskets or anything like that. We are simply living off of what you've provided for us to do what you've created us to do. Let us glory in that, Lord. Let us behold the Lamb today well and testify to the Son of God for your glory, for Jesus' glory by the Spirit's power, and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.